Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, who wants to be like a sloth? Anybody? Anybody like, yeah, I could, I could jam on that. That's just a pretty easy life. Well, I hope you enjoyed David Attenborough. We'll have a little bit more of him in the weeks to come. Um, but a sloth, how about that? It kind of sets the stage for our next several weeks as we're, uh, we finished Matthew. Rest in peace, Matthew. It was great. And uh, we're on a new series where uh, we're talking about slowing down and the reality of that. And uh, what better way to depict that than a sloth who we honestly laugh at? Like, nobody's like, man, sloths are awesome. I want to wear a sloth shirt. You're like, no, you want to wear a lion or like a tiger or like something cool, like a swordfish. Not a, not a sloth, right? But at the end of the day, as simple as it sounds, God created a sloth. And he created him like that, like to be like that, right? And one of the defining lines that David says in the video that I think is super important for us to marinate on is he says the sloth's way of compensating for their, for their like, life and speed is not that they eat more, but to do less. Not that they eat more, but they do less. I don't know about you, but I'm learning that lesson the hard way. I think that in the world that we live in today, and probably more specifically just the West, uh, I'm constantly facing this tension of the fact that I can be a really successful pastor and our church can be amazing, but I can forfeit my soul in the process. And, and no one can really notice or maybe even care. And I'm not saying that you guys don't care, but if you think about it, you can make a massive church, you can have a giant building campaign, you can raise millions of dollars, you can, you can reach the homeless, you can do all these things, but I can still forfeit my soul, I could be exhausted, I could be running on E, I could not be in abiding relationship with Jesus, and it'd be a serious ordeal. And for me, I take that serious, and I'm learning, and I've failed a lot, and I'm learning how to do it for the long run, right? I don't want to burn out, and I've survived the two-year two gap of youth ministry where a lot of guys burn out guys and girls, and, and I, I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm wrestling in this stage of life with toddlers. But I was thinking about it more and more this week, and I realized you're not really that different than me. I mean, ministry is weirdly complex in the way that it blends into your life and how they're kind of intertwined. But I think you could say the same thing about being an engineer. I think you could say I, I can be a successful engineer, but I can be a failure of a follower of Jesus. I can lose my soul in the process. I could start a business and I could be successful but a failure as a follower of Jesus. I could be a great friend to many people and still be a failure as a follower of Jesus. I think you can input anything. I could be a successful blank and yet still be a follower or a failure as a follower of Jesus. Part of the reason why that's so um, common is because the world doesn't really care, right? Like the world doesn't really care about my marriage. The world cares about me buying and consuming, and being busy, and trying to climb up the ladder, and if I have to sacrifice my marriage for the sake of a successful company, then go for it, right? And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is, is kind of talk about this idea of hurry, the idea of busyness, and, and just kind of get to the bare bones of it, and today is setting the scene for that, and so there's a lot of introduction. I'm pulling in a lot of research, um, which is not usually as typical for my teaching style, but today will we'll be that because we're setting the stage for the reality of the fact that number one, we are in such a hurry that it's killing us, literally, physically, mentally. Um, and you can see this in a lot of statistics and things like that. I'm not going to go through all of those. Um, but number two, then from that, is I'm going to teach about how the way of Jesus is always against hurry. It always is. Jesus is never in a hurry. 
And then therefore, number three, hurry and love are, are incompatible. It's impossible to love people when you're in a hurry. Number four, um, then the response in what we will spend our time over the next few weeks doing, and this is the John Mark Comer book, if you've heard of it, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Which the word ruthless is usually used in a, used in a negative way, right? Like someone's ruthless. But in this sense, it is, it is acknowledging and giving reverence to the reality of how serious this is. And so if we're called to take serious Jesus' teachings, but not just his teachings, his lifestyle, we have to walk at the pace that Jesus walks at. And so we're going to talk about that uh, today. But to start us off, I just kind of want to make you scared about how bad it is. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, so one of the statistics uh, that, that has pretty been pretty potent is by Michael Zigarelli. He did a five-year study on 20,000 Christians over five years and determined that busyness was the number one distraction from life with God. And he had five kind of stages of a, of a cycle that he determined and this is what they are. Number one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which then leads to number two, God becoming more marginalized in the Christians' lives, which then leads to number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to five, causing the reality of this tailspin that we have. And so what happens is we have a lot of says that we settle for a mediocre version of faith. We don't renounce it entirely. We will just skim our lives instead of in actually living them. Here, which would be wild, <laughs> uh, would we skim our lives for the next 20 years or would we actually live them? And actually living them might actually mean slowing down. If any of you feel like that, you feel like you're skimming, you feel like you're, you're everywhere at once but you're never really present, or you're, you're responding in ways that you know you shouldn't, but you don't know why, or you're exhausted, or you're anxious, or you're doubtful, or you feel like there's so many dang social obligations, you know, and you can't say no to any of them, and you gotta bring a gift, and you gotta show up, and you gotta wear a nice outfit. Where, like, it's just overwhelming sometimes. And then what happens is you're everywhere at once, but you're really nowhere. And then it affects your relationship with Jesus, and before you know it, you're not doing very well. And here's, here's the bold claim that I wanna make over the next six weeks and I, I, I believe it to be true in my bones, the way of Jesus is the way to live. I'm not just saying, like, Jesus is, like, a good moral teacher. Like, I believe that his teachings are profound, but I believe that his lifestyle is the way to live life. And so what I mean by that is if you practice not just the teachings and you understand them and you know them, but after you actually do the things, you will live a better life, 100%. So over the next six weeks, you say, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for it. I think it's crazy. I don't trust this. I'm going to do it anyways. I, 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 would, I dare you to come back and say your life isn't better. And I'm not saying prosperity gospel, like you're going to get more money and more blessing and whatever. What I'm saying is your life will be lived the way it should be because we believe that Jesus tells us how to do it and it actually works. Now, the problem is, is determining what is working, what is good, what is success. And that gets us to the second part of the fact that hurry is killing us. So what I want to do is I want to paint a picture of the reality of the culture we're in, and then we're going to talk about the reality of Jesus' culture that he's creating and, and how they're at odds. Um, I've been reading this book by Tyler Statton. It's a great book on prayer. And he was, he was talking about this Senate subcommittee in 1967. They met together, and they predicted that by 1985, which is like almost 40 years ago, uh, the average American would work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year because of all the leisure time that technology would help free up, right? So half the year, half time. How's that going for us? They predicted that, and they, they said, well, people, because of all this technology, they won't have to work as much. And so they'll have way more free time. It'll be all about hobbies. You'll be able to golf all the time. You'll be able to do all this stuff. And uh, when 1980 hit, 
uh, leisure had actually decreased and people were working more. So yes, technology did advance us and save us time, but what they misjudged is how we'd actually use the time. Oh, this will be better. I'll have more time to do this. Oh, I'm just going to fill it with more of this now. Right? We didn't actually do what they thought we did, and so we spend time on things other than actual rest and leisure. Now, to level with you, I'm not, I'm not arguing that technology doesn't make the world better in some ways, right? But just because we become more technologically and economically advanced does not always mean that humanity and human flourishing advances. I can prove that to you with simple statistics about depression rates and anxiety in the West. I'm talking mainly in the West because the world is very different depending on where you're at, and so I don't want to paint broad strokes. But in America, in the West, in the Western Hemisphere, um, we are dealing with a, um, a massive amount of busyness to the point where the suicide rates, uh, anxiety, depression, meds, all these type of things are on a record high. And I don't know about you, we've only learned more. We've only had better technology every year we go. Before we know it, robots are going to be flipping our pizza. But yet we're still more anxious than we were the day before when robots didn't flip our pizza. So what is going on? And that's just a symptom of the reality of how inundated we are in busyness and hurry. And this bleeds not only into just our, our, our hearts, but into the things at which we do. And, and one of the main ways is the phone at which we hold all day. It's our companion, right? They did a study in 2016. Apple uh, found that on average, iPhone users touch their screen 2,600 times a day, 2,600 times a day, uh, staring at their phone for two and a half hours over 20, or sorry, 76 sessions. That was in 2016. And then they did it again in 2019. You'll never guess what happened. All of the numbers doubled to over five hours a day. And this was before COVID. How do you think COVID did? Worse. We are so addicted to our phones. We spend more time on our phones and looking at our phones than any other relationship in our life. So you are married to your phone, whether you know it or not. Instead of slowing down and harnessing technology to free up leisure time, we now suffer from what mental health professionals have coined hurry sickness. It is a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiety. So in a society that prizes efficiency and productivity above all else, it uses time like a tool rather than a limit. Hurry isn't an occasional necessity. It is the new normal. Being still is not as simple as it sounds. Hurry sickness, right? I was thinking about this. Uh, what would be a pretty lethal cocktail? You got a few, few ounces of hurry sickness, an ounce or two of FOMO, and then add a little bit of dash of bitterness, and you got quite the cocktail, right? I mean, that's the world we live in, right? Is I'm, I'm, I'm consumed at this busy level. I'm not um, being still in the ways that I need to. And then I have also FOMO about missing out of other things that are going on that I can't be at. And then, I'm, and then I feel bitter, and then there you go. You're just consuming yourself in a sludge of toxicity that is just ridiculous. It also bleeds into work as well, which is funny because we work a lot, but we don't really focus when we work. A study at the University of California found, and this is staggering, you'd have to search research this. It says that it takes an average of 23 minutes to get back to task when you're distracted. And so if you check your phone every hour, you're literally wasting the other half of time uh, trying to get back to focus in deep work. Uh, another study in Harvard found that 47% uh, of of the time people's minds wander. So nearly half the time you're doing something, you're thinking about something else that's going on. Angela Duckworth concluded, she said, some would argue that human attention, not money, is the most valuable commodity there is. And it's the ultimate scarce resource. When they were interviewing Netflix, asking who their main competitor was, they answered, sleep. That's not a company, if you're wondering. That's sleep, <laughs> like what you do hopefully every night. Well, you we just can't compete. People have to sleep. That's our main competitor. We, we are just so inundated 
in it. It's ridiculous. And this, 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 this hurry addiction has been, has been stated by lots of people for actually a long time at the reality of what the, the pace and speed we're going. Corey Tenboom said something profound. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy, which technically will be sin before, <laughs> before long enough. If he can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung, who's not even a Christian, he was a psychologist. He's probably written like half the content that psychologists use. He's brilliant. He had this little saying. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And so lastly, Tyler Statton puts this simply, because he's writing about prayer in his book. He says, we try to import prayer into our hurried lives, treating the symptoms but avoiding the full detox. And the result then is lip service to God. While we effortlessly conform to culture remains the one true God we worship. So that's where we're at. How do we feel? (laughs) Not good, right? Or you're like, I'm doing all right, but everyone around me is not. (laughs) How can I be a light to them? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something incredibly simple and pragmatic, and I hope that it's helpful for you. This is how I process things. And so what I'm going to do is one of the biggest things to start this is not only to say, hey, here's what's wrong, and you sort of believe that, and hopefully you do, and you can do more research, but... It's the fact that um, if you choose to follow Jesus, that you have to believe a certain paradigm when you wake up every day, or you are going to be exhausted, and you are going to be discontent with your life. And what I mean by that is, if we read about Jesus, maybe, we, I don't know, go through the book of Matthew and read about his life, um, and then you have the world, I'm going to put the West, like I said, because I'm trying to be specific here, because the world is not all the same. We have two ways of living, okay? And when we follow the way of Jesus, we make... We make decisions based on his uh, obedience to him and his lifestyle that we believe are true and that affect the way that we see the world and the way that we live. And so a good example, some amount, you get to take all that money minus taxes, <laughs> save it for till the millennia. You can do that as well. Minimum, you're giving 10%, okay? Don't throw rocks at me, okay? 10% of your income, and let's say you're supporting someone in crew, you... You have people over and you make six pounds of taco meat and you're like, that is not cheap anymore, right? So you're giving, let's say, maybe at least 15 to 20% of your income away. It's going outside you to things that are not just counting as your mortgage or your bills or your car or your fund, right? So, okay, so there you are. You're at 80%, okay? So just by the way of design, Jesus and God in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, he calls them to give away parts of their money to live on less. So if you follow Jesus, you will have less money. Okay? The next one, which is time, we will have less time. Now, I know you're like, no, Trey, everybody has the same amount of time. That's what rich people and poor people say. They're all the same. We actually don't because if you are not a follower of Jesus, you get 24 hours in a day, and I don't know how many hours that is in a week, times seven, right? This is a clock, by the way. Okay? And you get unlimited. You can do whatever you want with it. If you want to spend 12 hours on your Saturday and watch Netflix, who cares? You can do whatever you want. If you want to go out to the bars for nine hours, three nights a week, go for it. You can do whatever you want. Your truth is your truth, and you do what you want. If we follow Jesus, we actually don't get to do that. Now, let's just say you Sabbath. Let's say you do it really well. You honor it every week. All right? Just nod your head and go, yeah, I do that. I'm giving you a free pass. Okay? That means that you have 86% of time that they do. Minimum. That's 14% of your 100%. One day a week, you're resting, you're not striving, you're not grinding, you're not whatever, right? And then on top of that, then we, we call ourselves in a consistent community. We believe being here on Sunday is valuable. We believe being in a community, a core group, an MC is valuable. So that's another 4 to 6 7%. So now you have 80 maybe 80%, right? And then on top of that, you're also called to be a, um, 
To be missional means you don't just stay in this group. You go out and you try to reach people in other spaces. And so you're also giving your time in that way. And so you're continually using your time. And before you know it, you don't have as much time as the world does. Right? The third one is you just have less selfish pursuits. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can do whatever you want. You can prioritize the things you want. But we're called to to love and serve our neighbor Whenever, they're, whenever they have an issue, right? So it can be pointless. Like, they need to go help, you know, they need to go help do their leaves. Like, you go do that, right? And it's a complete waste of time on your end. It has no value in the world. But you use your time, and you have less selfish things that you get to pursue. We're to prioritize our marriages and our families and our relationships, which means that we can't be workaholics, and we can't have 10 hobbies, right? Because we're called to be present with people who the West can do whatever they want with their me time, Okay? I always joke, like, if you're single, maybe you can have ten hobbies. But then you get married, you get, like, four. Once you have a kid, you get two. And after more than one kid, you get basically zero. Until they get old enough to where you can share hobbies. And then there you go. That's the, tr- that's the trick. But you don't just get to, like, you don't just get to selfishly decide every day what you want to do. You, you actually don't. You, Jesus gives you priorities that you align yourself with, and that helps make your decisions. And so you get very little actual me time, which I hate the word of anyways, but you get little me time. And then the last thing, which is probably the hardest for us and the most subtle and insidious, is that if we follow Jesus, we will be less impressive to the world's standards. If you want to make a big company and sacrifice your marriage and get divorced, go for it. They're going to be cheering you on. Get in the Fortune 500. Come on, you can do it, right? The sky's the limit. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Your, your, your marriage is the most important thing in your life once you become married. If you're not married, your family is one of the most important neighbor that you have. And so you're to prioritize those, which means that the things that you do are going to be less impressive. Maybe you don't take the raise because you know that you'll forfeit more time from your family and your family or your marriage is struggling or your kids barely know you and you just would rather do something that you think is achievable and you feel better about in your insecurities than be present with your family and make less money. Maybe... Maybe we don't just post brags on social media to fill our own praises and insecurities, right? But they do. We also don't, we don't cut corners. We have integrity behind our work. We work hard. If we screw up something, we make it right. That costs money. Or, or we, uh, we don't use people for career gains and accolades. We don't step on people to get higher up. Therefore, we are content with maybe being less impressive than we could have been. I, I feel that with my life. I love my job and what I get to do here, and I love our church. But there's always a tension to do more, to be bigger, to push yourself for more accolades, to let yourself be noticed more online. All of you have it. Some of you don't have as high of sights as other people, but you all have it. We will be less impressive. And so as simply as this sounds and looks, this is, this is our lives. And you wake up every day and you've got to be willing to acknowledge this is the reality of what you signed up for. And so this is what we call the Jesus gap. And if, you, if you've been fighting and kicking at this, you're going to be pretty miserable. And I'm not saying that to like discourage you. I'm just, this is how it is. And I love what I get to do. I love that I give away a lot of my money. I love that I serve people and, and give away my time. I love that I try to Sabbath the best that I can. These things, I believe, like Jesus said, will make my life better and will honor God and will bring the kingdom about in people's lives. And there's nothing more powerful as an apologetic today than you just not being a stress ball every time you go somewhere. People be like, I don't know what's up with Trey, but he's so chill. I want to be like him. Like, he just seems to like, say no to things when he can't do it. And he's generous, and he has all the time in the world. He's never on his phone when I'm with him. Like, these are the things that matter. 
And if you're not doing them, you're struggling with what you signed up for. Maybe you didn't even know you signed up for this, which I'm sorry. But you can go back to last week. The gospel is all of us, right? It's, it's our whole selves giving over to Jesus. So let's turn in your Bibles, if you've got one. Um, we have some in the back. If you'd like one, you can use your phone. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but please turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, if you, this is your first week. We were in Matthew for 74 weeks. We concluded last week. Unfortunately, this, not unfortunately, this passage that we're talking about is only in Matthew, so I didn't have a choice. I would have tried a different rendition of it, but uh, Matthew 11. Also, I'm, I'm shameless plug. We, we bought these journals a while ago. If you would want one of these to write in, you can grab one. They're free. They're in the back if you need one, if you want a journal. Uh, we just have a bunch of them, so I'm like, take one. They're free. While we're going to be there, though, Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. Lizzie let, read a little bit of this, um, but... Starting in verse 25, at that time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. Real quick, which one is the wise and intelligent and which one is the little children, right? I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking I need to be wise and intelligent. That's like, and I'm not saying you need to be an idiot and not learn things. But what Jesus is getting at here is, this is, by the world, this is how you succeed. This is, you're successful. You have all these things. But Jesus says, no, 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 it's actually becoming like a little child. It doesn't mean you become an idiot. But a child has this sense of wonder and curiosity. And the most important thing a child has that we've talked about before is the fact that a child has to submit to the world around them. Like, they are not in charge. They have people lead them. And they have to trust that that person is not going to take advantage of them. And I don't know about you, when you grow up and you become an independent adult, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to have to lean on anyone. You're not supposed to ever have to be in financial crisis. You're not supposed to ever have to have something that would require you, heaven forbid, for your family or friends to have to give you money or loan you out or help cut your grass or whatever. That's a failure. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Childlike faith is being willing to submit to the fact that actually you're not in control and that's okay and it's all right. And weirdly enough, just like the sloth came down to go to the bathroom, like, he was defenseless. And it was like, we look at that, like, that was stupid. Why don't you just go to the bathroom from up top on the tree? And then you won't get eaten by a cougar coming out of the woods, right? But that's not how the sloth lives. And to us, we think that's stupid. I wouldn't do that. But Jesus says, actually, that is the way at which you should live. And the people who do that, I will reveal to you the truth. And this is what he says in verse 10. This is deep spiritual shalom. It's, it's rest of financial hardship or anxiety that there is deep rest. And he says, take my yoke on you and not his heart except this verse. And his heart is gentle and humble. And he says, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. This is the, the, just the beautiful foundation of Jesus saying, yeah, if you come to me, if you follow me, actually one of the main things you'll receive is rest. We'll talk about that more in other weeks about how rest is. There's a spiritual rest for our restless souls. But rest, in this case, it deals with work. And if you notice, there's something unique about what he's doing here. He's not taking all your load. He's, he's saying, here's a new way to hold it. And so I love what Eugene Peterson writes in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and I'm going to read it. This is how he interprets this passage. He says, Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from the sophisticates and the know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. 
Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. And this is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of the Father and the Son's intimacies and knowledge, no one knows the Son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that just music for your souls? Here's the problem. So we don't really want to walk with Jesus. We just want to hear things about him. And we want to try to just force it in our own life. This yoke aspect is really confusing for us. A lot of times we think, oh, like, you know, it, the yoke is, he's taking it off. Jesus carries my burdens. He's like, actually, he's not taking them off you. He's not saying, just sell all your stuff and go live on the beach, which would be nice. No, 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 you have work to do, right? Work is a part of our calling on earth because we're just working for eternity in heaven as well. So, like, let's practice now, right? Work is good. Aimless toil and exhaustion is not, but work is good. Work is being faithful. But he's saying, you're not going to be done with work. You're just going to have a new yoke. And the yoke in this culture, there's two types of yokes. There's oxen yoke, which is used for two oxen. It straps on the tops. And then that way, when they plow a field, if the one oxen is stronger than the other, they don't, they don't plow crooked, and then all the lines are off, right? So that it, it keeps them side by side. And some people think that's what he's referring to, like, oh, you've got to stay at the same pace as Jesus and, and, and stay with him. And sure, Maybe. I think what's more accurate, though, is actually talking about a human yoke. A human yoke was what you'd put on your shoulders so you could carry four to six times more the weight of whatever you were carrying. So maybe you've seen a photo of, like, a yoke with two strings and, like, water pails, right? I don't know about you, but I could use a yoke when I take the groceries in because I'm like, I'm going to grab every single, every single bag in this car, and I'm going to just bare arm it until I get into the house. But now we buy seltzer water, so that changes the plan because it's boxes. So i got to go like this. But if I had a yoke with some big baskets right over my shoulder, no problem, right? The yoke actually makes things lighter, but you're not changing the load. Life is hard. you got to do stuff you don't want to do. you got to pay bills. you got to do dishes. Ugh. you got to deal with crying toddlers if you have a family. you got to deal with a wife or a husband that doesn't want to do the things you want to do. you got to deal with hardship that just happens because we're in a tumultuous, malevolent world that does stuff to us without us even asking. Life is not, he's not saying, just forget it, make life easy. He's saying, listen and follow the way that I live. That is the yoke. And so the secret of this yoke is about a priority, which leads not specifically to just a balance, but a priority at which things that even become unbalanced do not ruin our lives or stress us out. One scholar puts it great. He says, the key is that we must realize that we should remember the rest Jesus offers is not relaxation of the demands of following him or the demands of righteousness, but it's a new relationship with God which makes it possible to fulfill them. It is not the removal of the yoke, but a new kind yoke which makes the burden light. Makes the burden light. One scholar said the reward that God offers to those who walk in a good way is this rest for our souls. And so the secret here is this yoke that we take on. And the crux of this entire series and this entire what we're, what we're trying to give you the perspective of is at the end of the day, when you don't take on the yoke, the only reason and always the reason is because you don't have enough faith. It's true. I mean, it's true in my life. It's true in your life. 
when you boil it down, you might have symptoms. You're like, oh, we're just like in a really financially hard spot. Or like, oh, I'm just, I need to work more like I just, in this season. At the end of the day, you don't have enough faith that if you practice the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus, that you actually won't have the life that you think you need. You don't have enough faith. You don't believe it. I mean, what is Sabbath? Sabbath is saying, I believe God will do as much as he needs in six days than me toiling in seven and the rest of the world. You know, I know you can say what you want about Chick-fil-A, but <laughs> they make more money per, per restaurant than any other fast food company. Now, is money the only metric? No, but they make more money in six days than all these other places do in seven. If you don't do it, you don't have enough faith. You don't really trust. You're like, I'm going to work seven, and God, you'll, you'll fill in, right? You'll be nice to me. Same with, with money. We don't give away money because we don't actually believe God will provide if we give away our money. Oh, I won't have enough. Well, I won't be able to feed my family. I'll have to ask for money. Well, how embarrassing is that? I won't be able to own the new car I want to own. Like, that is the reality is we don't have enough faith. We don't believe that Jesus' teachings and lifestyle are actually the best way to live life. And what I want to implore you to do the next few weeks is I want, I want you to prove it. Dive in and go for it, and you tell me if you think that Jesus is wrong, because I don't think he is. And so for us, when we don't have enough faith, then what do we do about it, right? You can't, you can't just, it's not like a fitness trainer just, just go do the workout, and you'll be fine, right? Like, just throw everything out of your pantry. That'd be real easy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we all just, that's great advice. Thanks for telling me that. I, I, I know I shouldn't eat candy every day. Thanks for telling me what I already know. Maybe you already know this, and you know, okay, I don't have enough faith. What do I do with it? And this is where we get into the reality of just leaning and learning about Jesus and just trusting in the culture that we create as a church and a community of people who are not in a hurry, of people who are trying to love deeply. And this is number three, is that we realize that hurry and love are incompatible. And we don't settle for less. When you ask me how I'm doing, I say, oh, I'm good, I'm just really busy. You know, like you say that. It's like, that's not a good thing. We should be like, oh my gosh, like what's, what's going on? Is there any way I can help you? Because that's not a sustainable way to live life. How would you like that one? No, you say you're busy because you're important. You got stuff to do, man. I got all these meetings and I got time for you, but I'll make time because you're important, right? No, it's, it's not good. We shouldn't say, oh, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm just, what that says is, oh, I'm irresponsible about my time and I don't really trust that God will provide for me. I'm just going to fill it with stuff. John, uh, John Mark Comer says, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. And then therefore, then you can't live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I had a moment on, uh, we, my wife and I, you know, I'm trying to get this right too. Like, struggling, okay? We're like, we're going to Sabbath. Here's the rules. One of our dumb rules that we can't follow is we don't buy anything. Like, we don't, I mean, sure, DoorDash, great, but like, we're not going to go out to the store. We'd love to go to Target, Costco, which you walk out of Costco, minimum 100 bucks. And what do you even get? Like, 72 granola bars, you know? But it's like, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to make free time here. We'll shop here. We'll order whatever. Well, I broke the rule. I was going to this, um, I was going to this place and I was shopping and I, I had Rhoda with me and she was sitting in the cart and I'm looking at this stuff on the shelf and Rhoda's sitting here and this girl comes out of nowhere. She's like probably like seven, eight years old wearing like a, like a frozen dress, you know, and uh, in public, you know, and, and, uh, and she's by herself, not a parent to be found, <laughs> completely by herself. And I'm like, oh boy, like what? And she just, out of nowhere, I'm just looking at the shelf. She says, wow, that baby's really cute. And of course I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And what do I say? Oh, that's so sorry. I say, well, yeah, that's interesting. I'm, and, and I'm like, I already like, you know, seven-year-old in the corner of the store. You just totally blur stuff. And, and, and I just please leave your diapers and diapers are hard and all this kick away. I'm terrible. And, and 
I was hurried. And hurry, hurry is never loving. It isn't. Jesus says, hey, give me a few moments today. You already broke your rules, but I'll give you another chance. And I just blew it. And I want you to know that hurry and love are truly not compatible. Now, there's a difference between being full, and I understand that. Like, it doesn't mean you, I can only take one meeting a day because Trace said not to be in a hurry. I'm not saying you can't have four or five meetings a day, but there's a difference between full and hurried, right? Jesus had a full schedule sometimes, but he never let it bleed into hurry where his, his heart was wrong. And so what I want to use with this illustration that I think was interesting last service because I used the world's smallest table, but um, is the way that we think about our lives. So we think about our priorities, and so I thought this little box is pretty pointless, so I thought this is an important um, thing for me is I just love the show, The Office, right? So I got a little bit of time here for The Office. And then you start to add up life. Then you have play, which is like your hobbies and fun and stuff like that. And then you have adulting, which I, I had written chores, and I thought that was lame because adulting is more than just chores. It's like stuff you just don't want to do that you have to do, right? Pay your bills, call your mom, all that stuff, right? Um, I love you, mom. <laughs> just Maybe you don't like calling your mom. I love calling my mom. My mom lives here now, so I don't even have to call her. Relationships, vocation, which is work. Relationships, marriage, family, friends, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the biggest box. Jesus, right? Look at you go. Are you doing so good? Jesus is the biggest box. The office is the smallest box. Now, this is the way you prioritize your life. Good luck balancing that for very long, okay? I'm going to stop now because I'm going to drop it. This is how we see our lives sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my everything. Oh, really? Like, are you in community? No. Do you, are you generous? No. Do you Sabbath? No. Do you, do you go to, do you know what your church's name is? No. All right. Well, maybe, maybe you're, maybe not. Maybe Jesus is actually the office box here. Maybe he's just a little bit of your life. Okay. And then what we do, here's what we do. Here's what we do as Christians. I'm going to try and do this. Is we, we just say, okay, well, I'll put him here. The bottom. Okay. But then I'm going to, I'm going to put another little side pile. I'm going to just sort of like, just, just kind of stack everything on top of each other. And it'll just all work out. And when I'm, like, around my Jesus friends, I got the big Jesus box. And then whenever I, I need to do other things, I'll just, and there you go. And it's like, oh, Jesus is at the bottom. But all my other stuff is out of whack, right? This stresses you out, right, just sitting on this table right now. And then what you do is you say, all right, you know what? I'm going to change my life. I'm going to reorder my priorities the right way, right? I'm going to put this on my Instagram bio. Jesus, family, work, fun play the office, right? It's your priorities. And you're like, look at how nice that looks, right? Isn't that, that could be in Sears, right? Couldn't that? On a shelf? You know what I mean? Like on a shelf? Department store? They're closed? Can, like for real? Done. Whew. Wow. If you notice, I'm not on the internet very often. I'm just slowing down, so I didn't know that. Thanks for informing me. You guys will be my current event news. I think I did know that, but anyways... Not like Sears, uh, JCPenney, Macy's. Macy's is still up, right? Macy's, okay? Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Is This is still exhausting. I don't know about you. It's still exhausting because you're still, like, compartmentalizing everything, right? You're like, well, Jesus is, like, my Sunday morning and, and this thing, and when I hang out with this person, then I'm on, right? And that Jesus is my priority. And what you do is you start to compartmentalize everything, and then you feel just as overwhelmed. In fact, you might start to do spiritual practices that really matter, and you feel like you're playing whack-a-mole. You're like, well, I did this thing, and then you're like, three just popped up. Well, now i got to go get those. And it just pops up left and right. And before you know it, you actually feel like you're doing more work than 
before. You're like, this is worse. Why would I Sabbath? Now i got to do more chores the day before. This is ridiculous, right? But the problem is that it's not just a reordering of priorities. It is a deep-seated belief and vision for your life that does not compete with this, which means that this is impressive. This is cool. Look at all these boxes. But what Jesus is really asking you to do is he's asking you to minimize the things that don't really matter, and he's asking you to put them all in his hands. And you know what? You might not watch The Office ever again. You might, you might not get to uh, spend unlimited time with your significant other, your friends. You might have to create boundaries. You might have to do all these things, but you're not the king anymore. You don't get to make the decisions. And so if you, if you really submit to the way of Jesus, you're trusting that I'm putting everything in here. It's still here. But I really trust that he will provide how I need to do it, the priorities I have to have. I have a deep vision for the vision of what Jesus will do in my life. And so this leads us to four, which is the final point, and this is it. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. There's a conversation between John Ortberg and Dallas Ward. Dallas Ward was like a really well-known author. He's since passed, but he's got great books. John was calling him as a mentor. John says, what do I need to do to be the me I want to be? And Dallas responds, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Imagine if you called me and you're like, Trey, what do I need to do? I'm struggling. And I just said that. Then you would respond, which is what John said. Okay, what else? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of your spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so what Dallas gets at and what was so profound about his whole philosophy of following Jesus was that we don't just adopt the teachings, we adopt the lifestyle that we walk in the same steps. And so he says this literally about this passage. The secret is living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. One mistake that we make a lot in following Jesus is that we love our enemies. We go the second mile. We turn the other cheek. We suffer patiently and, 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 and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. He says it is a strategy bound to fail. It just is. And so, I mean, just as we think through the next few weeks and as we learn to slow down in the way of Jesus, just think about your priorities. Think about the pace at which you run. Think about the things that you're not willing to let go of, that you're not willing to, that, that are still king for you. And so as we transition into a time of formation, I'm going to invite Nick up. We offer this every Sunday. We call it formation because we don't just want you to be a consumer. We want you to be formed in the image of Christ each week. And so we've got lots of things you can do. The breading cup is in the front and in the back gluten-free, and that is a reminder of the symbol of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So when on my Sabbath I violated and then didn't love Jesus through this little girl, I can be forgiven because I know that Jesus forgives and that, I, and that he loves me and that he has paid our sins, right? Even something like that. We also have prayer people in the back who would love to pray for you and would love to just pray for your, your heart in this as you let go of things you're holding tightly onto. We also believe giving is an act of worship. And honestly, in this is a massive part of slowing down is giving, actually. And then the last thing that I want you to reflect on, and maybe you have a paper under your seat and a pen, there's some in there, or you can use your phone, is I want you to spend a few minutes and I want you to just write. And in in, as you see your life in the next two to five years, a vision for your life. I want you to write out, if you follow this, this way, what kind of person you would become. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.